following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. You have your Bibles this evening. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. In your bulletin in the outline, it listed as verses 20 through 40, but basically we're going to be looking at the whole chapter and Several different places. Victory when we are outnumbered. Are there ever times when you think that you are the only one making a stand? I, I would have to say that uh, in our culture today, uh, probably been this way for a long time, maybe as long as you can remember, but uh, we as Christians, we are most definitely in the minority today. So what happens when we do have to make a stand on maybe a tough subject, maybe something the Lord had really convicted you about? Could be a stand in your family, could be a stand in your community, could be a stand in your school or your workplace, whatever the case may be. Uh, do you feel like you are the only one sometimes? So the other morning I woke up and uh, I went to the kitchen like I normally do, but the entryway into our kitchen was blockaded by packing boxes and pictures and several different things to keep the dogs from entering into a certain part of our house. And I told Marcia, I said, it reminded me of something you would see on the Home Alone movie. You know, when little Kevin was home all alone and the burglars were trying to break into the house. One little boy versus two professional bur burglars, and he took them out with all these little booby traps and snares, and it was just fun to watch. Uh, he was all by himself. He was the only one, but he did not let them intimidate him one bit. I, I can remember as a young boy watching the old Bruce Lee and uh, um, Chuck Norris movies. Uh, man, the enemy would come out. They would circle the hero, and sometimes it would look like 15 or 20 against one. And I stood there shaking my head and said, look, y'all better get out while you got the chance because this dude's fixing to knock your head off. It, it never did matter how many it was. It seemed like when the hero... Uh, he, he beat all odds. Uh, it didn't bother him one bit to stand up against the enemy, uh, even when they were outnumbered. And, and so as I thought about that, I looked at this situation. This is a, a, a passage that we've been through before. It's a very familiar story. But the situation is this. Elijah, in his heart, believes he is the only prophet in the nation of Israel who is making a stand at the time. And the showdown on Mount Carmel, we're going to be looking at this particular passage, and we're going to be looking at Elijah over the next couple of weeks, uh, both Sunday morning and Sunday night. But uh, this story here really, really sets the tone for us and our culture and what's been going on. So the name Elijah uh, means God is Jehovah uh, in the Greek form. When you see him mentioned in the New Testament, a lot of times he's mentioned as Elias. And so uh, that's who they thought Jesus was or who Jesus was calling. Uh, you know, he's calling upon Elias to come save him. But of all the prophets, this one was probably the most dramatic, most profound, most prolific, uh, probably the most powerful prophets of all because he had the capability of calling down fire. He was one of the ones that uh, raised the dead back to life. And, and so when you think about Elijah, when you think about a Moses that we talked about this morning, uh, the two of those are very, very prolific as far as their service roles and how God used them. As a matter of fact, 
in the New Testament when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, that was the two that Peter mentioned. He said, Lord, should we make tabernacles? Should we make tents? Should we make shelters for you and Moses and Elijah? And then later on in the uh, book of Revelation, a lot of people think that the two prophets that come back are Moses and Elijah as well. But here Elijah is up against uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Uh, Elijah thinks that he is the only one making a stand for what is right in his nation. So back in chapter 17, God has just provided Elijah with water during a drought. He had ravens bring bread to him. And he also had bread from a widow during this time of drought and famine. So in the school of the prophets alone, Elijah was bar none. Uh, God did a bunch of different great miracles through him. And so these prophets, they were quirky characters to begin with, but they often were characters who had to stand firm on some tough messages at some tough times throughout the nation of Israel and Judah. So here's what I want you to know, and I hope this is your attitude as well. I would rather be standing alone in the will of God than to be with the majority and be out of the will of God. And I hope that's your mindset as well. Because that's where we need to stand in our culture today. Because it's not getting any better. And the only way we're going to survive as a Christian nation, if we're going to survive as a Christian nation, is if we all band together and say, My God is supreme. My God is mighty. My God still saves. My God is the same God that was back in the days of Elijah. And I was thinking about that in that song that we sang just a moment ago. With every breath, all that I have, I will never cease to worship you. And if you can make that your commitment, then you can too, you too can make a stand similar to what Elijah did here on Mount Carmel. So I want to look tonight about victory when we are outnumbered. There are often times when we think like, when it seems like we are the only ones making a stand. But yet we often forget that all throughout this world, all throughout this nation, there are, there are people, millions of Christians, who are making the same stand that we make. And so sometimes we feel like that we're outnumbered. Uh, number one, we often feel like we're outnumbered when other people are forced to choose sides. And so that's what happened. Ahab called upon uh, all of Israel to come, gather together, we're going to have this showdown. Uh, he approached Elijah about it. He said, let's see whose God is real, whether it's Baal or Asheroth or Jehovah God. But the people of Israel were put in a situation to where they had to choose sides on this matter. Now, if you think about it, the mindset of these uh, believers, these children of God, these Israelites... They're in, they're in a bad place. We're entering into the third year of a severe drought and famine in that land. So their thinking is a little bit sketchy right now. That Their trust in the Lord is pretty low because of where they're at as a nation. But they're, they're forced to choose sides on this matter of whose God is the real God. And in verse 20 it says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And so as I thought about that, we have two sides being drawn right here. 
the, the battle line is drawn. Uh, he took his foot and drew a line in the sand. Let's decide this right now. Whose side are you on? We're going to get everybody together. We're going to meet up in the same place. And so as I thought about that, are, are we put into a position today where we have to choose sides? You better know it. Each and every day, we have to make that choice. In the, in the political realm, we have the Republicans and we have the Democrats. We have the conservatives and we have the liberals. Just late, recently through our pandemic, are you going to take the vaccine or are you not going to take the vaccine? You had to choose a side on that matter. The list of political schemes goes on, and they do it intentionally to hopefully divide and separate us because they know that if we are separated, we are much, much weaker than if we are together on any one matter. It also goes into the workforce. We have union workers and non-union workers. I, I, I went through one strike when I was uh, working back at Westlake Chemicals, PPG at the time, and, and we had to decide, you know, I was union, I paid my union dues, I walked the picket lines the whole time. But there were some of them that were put into a position where they had to choose, am I going to stick with my union brothers or am I going to cross the line to provide for my family? In the sports world, you've got to pick your own team. we got LSU versus Alabama. Man, that's coming up in just a few weeks. We're going to be choosing sides on that matter. Ford versus Chevy, you got to choose which one you're going to drive. Which one? I, this is my second blow on Fords and Chevys this way. I, I usually don't get that on a Sunday. but And, man, I just do it to stir people up. It works, too. Even in scriptural topics, are you premillennial? Are you amillennial? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Where do you think the church is going to go during the tribulation? Do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant? infallible, inspired word of God, or do you not? Or do you think it has flaws? That there are times when you have to make a stand. We are intentionally, by, by our power, put in a position sometimes where we have to choose sides where it will absolutely divide us. That's what Ahab is doing right here. He said, if I can divide these people over this one matter, I've got the other hand. But, but here for the people of Israel, there should have been no debate. You're the children of God. You're the Hebrew nation. They're put in a situation where they're, they're having to choose. Are you for God or not? Do, are, are you against God? Do you believe that He can still perform miracles? Well, we're in a drought. Where's your God at? Well, let's have a showdown. Let's make you choose sides on where you want to be. We see later on, I don't know if we'll read through the whole thing, but in verse 30, it, it tells about where Elijah went to put the altar back together. It says he took 12 separate stones to reassemble the altar before he made the sacrifice. And so the 12 stones that Elijah would use to rebuild the altar, they were a visual demonstration that even though the nation was set apart, they represented the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, they should still indeed be, and they could be one nation under the influence of Jehovah God. If only they would learn to trust Him alone. So in this matter, where do you stand? What do you choose? Are you for God or are you against God? There's no middle ground. There's no walk in the fence. There's no
You're either for God or you're against God. You're either on the side of Jesus Christ or you're against Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 through 30. Jesus made it perfectly clear. This was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They all came together. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking against Jesus. But in verse 25, Matthew writes this. He says, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And that's exactly what Ahab is trying to do. He's trying to sever the nation and the kingdom of Israel right down the middle so he can defeat them completely. And that's what Satan is trying to do to us as Christians as well. He has a tactic. He has a plot to where if he can keep us stirred up, if he can keep us arguing and bickering and fighting against each other, he knows that that nation is going to be brought to desolation. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And here's a choice that you have to make in verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. Uh-oh. There's a choice you have to make. Whose side are you on? Jesus said there is evidence of the person who is on my side as well. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So either you're on the side of Jesus Christ or you're not. And the evidence is, what are you doing for God's kingdom? Are you sowing seeds? Are you scattering his kingdom? And that's exactly what's going on here. Ahab has a plot. He has a plan. He says, if I can divide them, if I can separate them, I've got the upper hand. I've got the victory. The next thing we feel, uh, we, we feel like we're outnumbered number two is when circumstances affect other people's decisions. See, it wasn't just that Elijah was making a stand on his own, but the people of Israel had some stuff going on that caused their decision-making to be flawed. At the time of the showdown on Mount Carmel, they were in the third year of a major drought. No rain whatsoever for three solid years. Verse 21, it says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. So, so what do you think the circumstances were like for the general population during a three-year drought? No water. Probably no food or the food supply was running very, very short. If you're a doomsdayer and you're a prepper and you've got everything stored away, there's no issue whatsoever. But if you're relying on your crop from year to year and there's no rain, you're going to starve to death. 
I'm sure that some of the people in this situation at this time were thinking this. God has abandoned us. He's completely forgotten about us. There was no one seeking God. They were probably all complaining. They were walking around with questions. How do you think that impacts a person's thought process? Probably in a pretty significant way. I don't see God's hand at work in my life. I'm in a spiritual drought. Something's going on. God has, God has grown silent. We haven't heard from him in so long. It affected their decision-making process. Do, do you know anyone that's indecisive? Do you know anyone that just can't clearly think enough to make up their own mind on any particular matter or any topic? Or do you know somebody that is making decisions that go against God's principles? What did Paul have to say about a Christian mindset? What did Paul have to say about Christians in their decision-making process and how to help it out? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says that if, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So I'm sure these Israelites at this time, they were thinking more about what's going on around them in the here and now. Right here, their visual, the things that they can see and feel and touch and what they know that they're doing without. Instead of saying, let's pursue God on this matter and pray to him and see if he'll bring the reins once again and cause our nation to flourish. Paul, once again, writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and thanksgiving, with supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a Christian mindset right there. Right there. Every morning, I'm going to get up, and no matter what my circumstance is, I'm going to make a decision From the moment my feet hit the floor that I'm going to serve God, I'm going to praise him, and I'm going to be thankful for what I have instead of moaning and grumbling and belly aching about the things that I don't have. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. I'm pretty sure these Israelites weren't seeking God's kingdom first. That wasn't their priority. Survival was their number one priority during this time of drought. Christian mindset. Peter had a lot to say about that as well. Second Peter chapter one, beginning in verse five. He says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. When you have your mind set on the things of this earth, 
those things of the earth are going to cloud your every ability to make decisions, especially when it comes to following the Lord. Next, we see something else. We see that we feel like we're outnumbered when God's people are timid. When God's people are timid. Look at the response of the people when Elijah approached them with this question. He, he approaches them with this question. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long are you going to try to straddle the fence? How long are you going to waver in your decision-making ability? He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Here's your two options. There's no way out. You've got to make a decision here. Who are you going to follow? Look at the response of the people. But the people answered him, not a word. They chose to remain silent on the whole situation. They said, well, you know, we got you here. You're telling us to make a decision, either follow God or follow God. We're going to do better than that. We're not going to make a decision at all. We're just going to shut our mouths. We're going to sit here and we're going to see what happens. But what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says that if God is for us, who can be against us? This is what the Israelites lost sight of. Think of all the miracles that had taken place up until this point. Not just the miracles in the days of Elijah. But they can still remember the crossing of the Red Sea. They can still remember the bread, the manna, the quail in the wilderness. Forty years they wandered. They wandered around through the the desert. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They lacked absolutely nothing. But yet, here they are, only three years into a drought, and they're already wanting to turn their back on the Lord. Sometimes we often lose sight of the fact that God never changes. The God that was God back then is the same God today. His attributes haven't changed. His ability to perform miracles has never changed. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And and so why do we back down from so many things as Christians? Why, Why do we remain silent on so many topics when we already know what the answer is? We feel like we're alone. We feel like we're the only one that's going to speak up on the matter. The Bible has a lot to say about meekness. The Bible has a lot to say about your Christian testimony that you bear each and every day. We're looking at Moses on Sunday mornings. Moses was considered to be a man of meekness. Numbers 12, uh, chapters 12, verse 3 says that Moses was a very meek person. But that meekness does not equate to weakness. Jesus even said that the meek shall inherit the earth. But he wasn't saying be weak in your decisions. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And I think that's what these people had lost sight of. Here's your choice. If the Lord is God, follow him. Or if Baal is God, you follow him. Yet they locked up on him. They remained silent. They didn't say a word. Where are the bold Christians at today? Where are the ones that are willing to go out and speak up for their Christian rights and privileges? 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Proverbs 28, 1 says that the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. God, I, I pray that God would give us a boldness like we've never seen before. I pray that God would raise up some Christian laborers with a boldness that aren't afraid of what this culture is throwing at them. And that's what Elijah was looking for. Elijah was making a challenge. Elijah was saying, I double dog dare you to stand up for the Lord right now. Here's your opportunity. I don't know how many Israelites were there at the time, but I know what God had saved for this occasion and to help Elijah out. Unbeknownst to Elijah, there were more prophets than he could imagine that God had preserved in the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, there was a prophet that he ran into by the name of Obadiah. Was it the one who wrote uh, the letter in the Old Testament? But there was another prophet by the name of Obadiah who had preserved 100 other prophets of the Lord, 50 in a cave and 50 in another cave. He fed them and he hid them and he kept them safe from King Ahab that Elijah didn't know about. But God's people remained silent. They were timid. And they lost sight of what God could do. Point number four. We, we feel like we're outnumbered when God's people remain silent. Still going on this same verse. But the people answered him not a word. Not many people like conflict, but, but do you get vocal when your faith is threatened or do you remain silent? When is the last time someone has really spoken out against you or the God you serve and you stood up and you vocalized your opinion and your faith? What was the last situation that required you to really speak up for your rights? Did you speak up or did you choose to remain silent? There's a movie out right now. It's not a Christian movie, but it's a good family movie. Uh, there wasn't any uh, vulgarity uh, like normal movies, but I encourage you to go see The Sound of Freedom if you haven't seen it yet. Because one man saw a situation, got involved in what was going on, and he chose to do something about it. He did not remain silent about it, and now his story is being told. But too often we as Christians... Choose to remain silent on some very important topics. We learn more about our faith and we learn more about how God can use us whenever we speak up and we vocalize. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, it is good for you to live a good, clean Wholesome life is an example to others, but sometimes you've got to open up your mouth and vocalize. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Here's some good news for you. Don't remain silent on these topics. George Mueller once said this. He says, to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I've learned my faith by standing firm amid severe Settings, And this was a pretty severe setting that Elijah and the children of Israel were in. Elijah was vocal. He was bold. He didn't back down. 
And he challenged the people of Israel, I want you to do the same. Here's your opportunity to speak up for the God that you say that you love. But the people answered not a word. And by asking this question, Elijah saying, all right, I'm giving you one last chance to make a stand with me. Whose side are you on? And this is when the distance began. Point number five. We feel like we're outnumbered when other believers are distant. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull. Lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. Here, here's the irony of the whole situation. Elijah had already met Obadiah. Obadiah had hid a hundred prophets himself, yet Elijah is standing here saying, I'm the only one left. Just earlier in this chapter, he found out that there were a hundred other prophets. Later on in chapter 19, God would reveal to him, he said, look, you think you're alone, but I have 7,000 other prophets in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You'll find that in 1 Kings nineteen eighteen. But yet Elijah is speaking up and saying, I'm the only one. I'm the last one left. But the biggest irony of it all is that Baal was the god of the storms. If you really think about that and what's going on, a three-year drought, yet their God would not produce rain for them. Now here's a challenge by fire. We're going to have a showdown. The God who can consume the sacrifice by fire, which if Baal was the God of the storms, he could have brought down lightning any time that he wanted to. But Baal couldn't do it. If anyone should have and could have brought down fire from heaven, it was Baal. And if anyone could have made it rain and end the drought, it was Baal. But Baal did not respond to the prophets. But the other believers had distanced themselves. And Elijah felt like he was the only one taking a stand at the time. Sometimes that's how we are. Sometimes other people intentionally distance themselves from us when we make a stand on a sensitive topic. When we vocalize ourselves, when we decide that we're going to follow the Lord no matter how tough it's going to get, there are some people that say, uh-uh, you're fixing to bring some trouble on yourself. I, I'm going to keep my distance from you. You got anybody that avoids you right now? You got anybody that skirts around you? Just so they don't have to listen to you talk about your love of the Lord. That's exactly what's happening here. Is the people of Israel are distancing themselves from Elijah. Because they don't think that God's going to show up in this showdown. Last but not least. 
We feel like we're outnumbered when others view your faith as a threat. They view it as a threat. Verses 22 and 24, Elijah said, I am alone. I'm left a prophet. They said, well, Bubba, if you think that, you are on your own. Even whenever Elijah approached King Ahab back in verse 18, Ahab looked at him, he answered him and said, I have not troubled Israel. He said, here comes that troublemaker. Here comes Elijah. He's a troublemaker. He's a threat to what I'm trying to do here. But Elijah said, I'm not the troublemaker. You are. You're the ungodly king. You're the one who is threatening us right now. And sometimes people view us with our faith as a threat to their way of life because they think they're going to have to give up something that they enjoy to serve the Lord. And I think the people of Israel viewed Elijah as a threat because of the challenge that was made and they didn't want to make the sacrifice to continue serving the Lord. Victory when we're outnumbered. You can read the rest of the story, but the prophets of Baal, they danced for days on end, tried to call down fire from Baal. They couldn't do it. Now, I love what Elijah did. Elijah just sat around and mocked him. He said, oh, your God must be sleeping. He's off somewhere with his ears closed. He's not listening to you. He's not responding to you. And then Elijah bowed down and he prayed this one simple little prayer. He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And just like that, fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, licked up all of the water that they had poured on it, and God responded to one man taking a stand when nobody else would stand with him. Do you sometimes feel like you're the only one trusting in God? I think we all do from time to time. Some of us may feel like that all the time. You you may be the only one in your household who wants to go to church, who wants to serve the Lord. In your family, people may think that you're a weirdo for serving the Lord like you do. People call you a Jesus freak. Don't let that deter you. You may be the only one in your school that's going to live a virtuous life. That's going to stand up for what's right. That's not going to partake in the things that everybody else is partaking in. Don't let that deter you. Don't let their name calling. Even though they avoid you like the plague, don't back down from your relationship with the Lord. In your workplace, are you the only one that bows their head and blesses their food at lunchtime? Even though everybody else is making fun of you. God's going to give you the victory. He's going to bless you for that. There may come a time, there may come a time when we as a church have to make some tough decisions on a particular stance that we need to take. I hope it doesn't, but I hope that you're ready for that victory when we think that we're outnumbered. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he he was a preacher during World War II. He stood up against Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich. 
very excellent book on discipleship that he's written, several other great books. And uh, finally, Hitler and Bonhoeffer went head to head. Bonhoeffer said, look, you hate enough to kill, and I love the Lord enough to die. Let's both be about our business. And he understood what sacrifice was. If anybody knew or if anybody could relate to what Elijah went through there on Mount Carmel, it was probably Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This quote down at the bottom, he says, Who stands firm? Only the one for whom the final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all these. When in faith abides sole allegiance to God, he is called to obedient and responsible action. The responsible person whose life will be nothing but an answer to God's question and call. Is God calling you to make a stand today? Does God already have you in a situation where you feel like you are the only one? There's a victory coming. And this is a situation that the Bible refers to as the perseverance of the saints. But right now, you have a choice to make. Whose side are you on? Just like the Israelites, just like Elijah challenged them. If the Lord is God, follow him. And my hope and my prayer is this, is that you will make that decision right now. That no matter what, no matter how horrible this culture may get, no matter what kind of pressure it puts upon you, that you will make that decision right now that I'm going to stand for the Lord, even if I am the only one. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight just thanking you so much for the opportunity to serve you. And I thank you so much, Lord God, for this challenging event that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 18. Lord, this isn't the only one like it, but this is one that I go to quite often just to remind myself that what you can do with one person who makes a stand, the victory that can come when we stand firmly on your promises, when we don't back down from the ways of this world, When we don't let someone like King Ahab deter us from serving you. When we can say, Lord, that that we have tasted and we've seen of your goodness. And that's all we want. We don't want nothing less. We want to let this world know that our God reigns supreme. And with every breath. All of my ways, all of my days, Lord, I want to sing of your praises and your goodness towards us. So, Lord, I lift up this congregation. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what it stood for through the years. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll continue using us to make an impact in this community. God, I I know right now that there are broken families that need a touch from you. I know right now, Lord God, that there are students in our schools that need a touch from you. I know, Lord God, that there are people that I have yet to meet in this community that need to hear about your goodness and your mercy and your grace. So help us to not remain silent, Lord God, but help us to speak out about how much you love us.
and how much we trust in you. And as we move forward, Lord God, give us faith like Moses. Give us faith like Elijah. And help us to show this world that the only hope is found in Jesus Christ. And we just ask it all in your most precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.